Happy Mother's Day. Moms, we're thankful for you. Give them a hand. Thank you very much. And we got some little gifts for you. Uh, we got some scented soaps, as I like to say sometimes flavored soaps, but my wife says that's not the right term. Um, some scented soaps, and we've got some bookmarks. We were going to have some other cool things as well, but they got stopped in shipping in Chicago. So maybe next year, or maybe for Father's Day, we'll give some girly gifts to the dad. I don't know. Dads, I'm not sure about that. But um, uh, moms, grab those gifts. Those are for you. They're on the little table in the back. Also, just all the women, we want to celebrate womanhood today as we celebrate moms. Uh, So let me philosophically lay this out for you. Um, We recognize that all women are called to nurture. Really, the whole church is, and we're going to get into that in the sermon. We're all called to nurture. Uh, But that's a calling that that every woman has, and we want to bless you and thank you for uh, your nurturing spirit and encourage you in that wake. So grab a gift, all ladies, men, don't take the gift, okay? Um, I want to recognize too, uh, just in seriousness for a minute, I know this is a hard day for a lot of you, um, so know that you've been prayed for. Uh, I know for a lot of you, you're, you're missing your mom, uh, or you had a hard, hard relationship with your mom, or, or maybe you're missing your kids, or, or for some of you, you're just struggling because you haven't been able to have kids of your own. Know that Jesus is with you, um, he sees you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I know that we're praying for you. We just want to recognize that and recognize you uh, there in your pain. Um, also want to just say thank you to the moms, those of you that have, that have mothered children through birth or through adoption. We, we bless you. It is the hardest job in the world, and it is an important job. And we just want to bless you and thank you for your service and encourage you to keep going and to keep trusting Jesus that he's going to help you to finish the task. And then finally, for For those that have been unable to have children of their own, I want to call you to this kind of bigger spiritual mothering vision that we see in Scripture that will come out a little bit in the sermon today. But Isaiah 54 promises that everyone, everyone will be fruitful in the new covenant. We live in a covenant with Jesus, whereby through his resurrection, through his death, through his power in our lives, as we trust him, he, he gives us this gift of being spiritually fruitful of bringing others to new birth and raising them up in the Lord. And so that's the task of all of us, men and women, together, that we would be spiritually fruitful, and that's what the church is called to be. And so that's a transition to what the sermon is about today. It's the, it's the last week we'll be in 1 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 16. We're finishing it up. I want to thank Jay Mathis for doing a great job last week. I got to listen to the recording. We joked about how, how it's nice to bring in a guest preacher to preach on giving, you know. Um, and thank you. Also, our giving went up 400% last week, so we appreciate that. I'm just kidding. It didn't really. But, but thank you for the giving that you are going to start doing more of because of his great sermon there. Uh, but I want to thank him. He was faithful to the text and encourage you to follow Jesus in your giving. We're going to talk about giving a little bit more this week as well. The sermon this week, we're calling it Share the Work. Share the Work. As we wrap up this series in 1 Corinthians, we've said, what's wrong with the church? And our big thesis has been what's centrally wrong with churches is when we take our eyes off Jesus and when we put our eyes back on ourselves. And the solution to that is, is what? To repent, to turn and put our eyes back on Jesus. The more we trust him, the more we'll reflect him in our communities. This week, we're called to share the work. It's these passing comments that you see at the end of almost all of Paul's letters where he's like, say hi to this person and, and remember this thing and, and pay attention to this issue, right? It, it can seem like little phrases and, and throw a, throwaway comments, 
but it's really important. It shows us the heart of Jesus in the church to share in the work. So here's an example of this. I think mothers especially can connect with this, but we've probably all experienced this if you're a manager or a leader. But moms, I, I know I've heard moms say this. Have you ever felt like you're the only one that notices what needs to be done? <laughs> Have you ever felt that way, right? Um, and you just want to say, will you just, will you just see what needs to be done and, and pitch in, right? That's what Paul is calling us to in the text. We, we just see the spiritual work that needs to be done and, and join, share in the work. There's, there's an endless workload. Jesus says, look, the, the harvest is plentiful. There's, there's plenty to do. We need to pray that the Lord would send out more workers. And we're a part of that. So that's our prayer as, as we read this text and listen to Paul's words at the end of 1 Corinthians 16. And just to be clear, before we look at it, the work, biblically, two things. The work is spiritual birthing, right? Being born again is seeing that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and that God loves you in Christ. Helping people to see that. The proclamation of the good news, spiritual birthing. The second part of that work is spiritual child-rearing. Helping people to grow up in the Lord. Helping people not to just trust that Jesus is enough to save them, but Jesus is enough to help you live every day in obedience to him. Follow Jesus. Walk with him. Obey him. So that's the work. We're going to tell people about Jesus, and we're going to help people grow as followers of Jesus. So let's look at how Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 24. Starting in verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they've made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. We believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus. 
And we believe that we need his Holy Spirit to, to listen, to pay attention, that his Spirit would form Jesus in us and shape us to obey what he has to say. So let me pray that his Spirit would meet with us now as we study his word together. God, we pray that you would be present with us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your grace and the gospel. Uh, we see the good news of a God who is for us by coming after us, by dying for us, by rising from the dead. We pray that your spirit would help us to see that and, and enjoy that and delight in that reality and that we would understand what you're saying to us in this text. Give us the gift of open minds, Father, and give us the gift of, of understanding and learning this morning. We pray that you'd be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at um, chapter 15, going into chapter 16, and thinking about this kind of final charge to share in the work, my thesis is this, as we look at the, the resurrection glory of chapter 15, Jesus has risen from the dead. And then we look at the final charges in chapter 16. Jay talked about it last week of, of giving financially, and then final words here where, he, where Paul is calling us to share in the work with others. I think the thesis would be this, because Jesus has done the ultimate work of defeating sin and death, we should share in the lesser work of following him and sharing that good news with the world. Jesus has done the work, so, so share in the rest of the work, the, the unfinished work of, of sharing what Jesus has done with the world. Jesus has conquered sin and death. It's going to feel sometimes like when we dive in and share in the work that it's going to kill us. It's going to feel that way. And this is kind of a bad news, good news thing. It will kill you, okay? As we share in the work of Jesus, we're sharing in his sufferings. And it's going to kill us. None of us are going to get out of this alive. But Jesus has risen from the dead. He has conquered sin and death. And so you can spend your life just trying to make yourself feel better or you can share in the work because you have a confidence that Jesus has conquered it all for us. So that's the call that Paul gives us here. And as we unfold these last few comments, I just want to focus on a few things. A lot of things we could focus on, a few things here. Number one, help the lead workers. He's going to talk about kind of key strategic workers and lead workers here. Help the lead workers. Number two, own the work yourself. Pitch in, right? Own the work yourself. And then number three, celebrate a culture of good work. He's going to say, Recognize these kinds of people. Honor these kinds of people. Greet each other. Celebrate. Create a culture of good, healthy work. So help the lead workers. Own the work yourself and celebrate a culture of good work. Number one, help the lead workers. We see this in verses 5 through 11, the beginning comments that he's starting to make here. He's giving his travel plans. And again, it'd be easy to think that this doesn't really matter. These are throwaway comments. But we always see Paul's passion for Jesus and for the people he's serving as he makes these aside comments or final comments. In verse 5, he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter there so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Paul's saying, we're all in this Jesus family together, and you, church in Corinth, are going to get the, the wonderful grace, the opportunity to help me. Paul's calling them into this work of helping lead workers. He says, perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter. He would probably spend the winter there because it's hard to travel in the ancient world during the winter, right? A lot of your travel is being exposed to the elements. And so he's saying, hey, I'll, I'll maybe even spend the winter there. He's inviting them into support for then wherever he will go. He says, you will get to help me so then I can go other places and share the good news of Jesus 
in other places. Verse 7, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. Saying, I don't want to see you just in passing. I'm going to come later and I want to come for a while and you can help me then. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Uh, The leadership of our church, Paul and his leadership in the ancient world, all leadership, we make strategic plans. We're like, okay, we think the Lord's called us to do this. We're going to we're going to set aside funds to focus on this ministry, right? Like we're, we're going to do Afghan family uh, resettlement this year. We set aside some funds for that. The, the elders prayed about that. We said, okay, this is going to be a priority for us, right? We're going to sponsor this missionary. We're going to start this new ministry over here. We make plans, but it's always contingent on if the Lord permits. Our strategic planning is we'll go here, we'll do this, we'll do that. But ultimately our strategic planning is God help us. We don't know what we're doing, Right? <laughs> lead us. And we trust that God works through the leaders as we pray and try to work things out and kind of look at what looks best. But it's always coming back to you as the Lord permits, if the Lord wills, as James says in his letter. So he says, if the Lord permits, this is what I'm going to do. Verse 8, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So he's like, all right, you've got an opportunity to help me Instead of me coming to you right now, you can be patient and wait for me because I've got work to do here in Ephesus. It's a wide door of effective work. And then he adds this funny little comment, and there are many adversaries. This really jumped out to me because I don't know about you, but sometimes I think that if there's an adversary, that it's not really God's will. Or if there's like a roadblock, maybe God's mad at me. Or if something has gotten in my way, maybe I should turn around and go the other direction. Paul is saying it's a wide door for effective work. There is work to be done and there are many adversaries. If you're going to pitch in and share in the work, and if you're going to help other workers, there will be adversaries. We need to be reminded of this, especially in this cultural moment, as our culture goes from like, you know, pro-Christianity to neutral to Christianity to you're evil if you love Jesus. As that changes culturally, as the temperature changes, you have to recognize It's always been that way. There's always adversaries. There's always going to be people pushing back against following Jesus. So we don't really worry about it. Of course, you want to be wise and pay attention to circumstances and the way you make decisions, but there's always going to be adversaries. Paul says it's a wide door for effective work and many adversaries. Both things are true at the same time. So he's calling on them to help him. And then he starts to talk about Timothy. This is interesting. Look at verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. He's, he's putting Timothy in the same boat as him. I'm doing the work. Timothy's doing the work. So help out Timothy. He goes on and adds more details. Verse 11, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Timothy, uh, as you look at him throughout Scripture, is a little bit timid. I can relate to Timothy. I was mentored by a senior pastor in Temple. just very gregarious. He was the kind of person that like walked into any room and just kind of assumed he was in charge. You know, that kind of like full extreme extrovert. Uh, And so working under his ministry for many years, I thought, well, I guess guess I'm not going to be a ministry leader because I'm not that, right? Um, but he lent his credibility to me and he encouraged people to listen to me as I preached the word and he, he opened doors for ministry for me, kind of like Paul is doing for Timothy here, right? So Paul is brash and strong and, you know, he's always getting beat up and kicked out of cities and he has no problem opening a door for himself often, but he's opening a door for Timothy. And so here's a way that you can help lead workers as well. 
Like you can say, hey, this person has something to say. You should, you should listen to this person. You can encourage effective work. You can share in the work as you open doors the way Paul is for Timothy here. We all have different opportunities to encourage people to, to hear or pay attention to the gospel being preached in different ways, in different places, in unexpected corners. You know what? The Lord worked through Paul in all of his strength, and the, the Lord worked through Timothy in his timidity. Uh, we see Paul saying things like in, in Timothy, the letters to Timothy, like take some wine for your stomach and don't be so anxious and the Lord's given you a spirit of power, right? Paul's constantly charging him, encouraging him to be stronger. But Paul's also in the back door telling other people like, hey, don't despise him, okay? Like he has something to say. Listen to what Timothy has to say. Make it easy on him. I love this. Don't despise him. Put him at ease among you. It's going to be easy for Timothy to be stressed out especially with people as dysfunctional as the Corinthian church. So he says, make sure you, you help him out. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. So what are some ways that, that you can help lead workers? We've got some examples here. Paul talks about him wintering with them, staying with them. There's the assumption of financial gifts as well. Jay talked about that more last week. That's kind of flowing here with the rest of what's being discussed. Um, there's a very concrete thing that Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy. It's the last letter he wrote. He's about to die, and he's writing this to Timothy, asking Timothy to come visit him and help him out. In 2 Timothy 4.13, he says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. So he's asking for a coat, right? A cloak. I, I grabbed a picture here of someone giving a coat to someone um, this is like maybe a, a food pantry or a homeless shelter. I'm not sure where the picture comes from. Um, and coat may not make sense to us on a day when it, it might hit like 98. I'm not sure. Um, but in some places, people need coats. It gets cold in some of these places, and they need coats or a place to stay, right? Or people might need food, or they might need money to extend their ministry. Paul is saying there are many different things you can do to help materially to propel the ministry forward, you can help lead workers. As Jay talked about last week, financial giving. You can put someone up at your place. You could encourage them. You could buy books for them, right? Like Paul says, bring me my coat and the books and the parchments, right? The scrolls. I need my books. I want to thank you, Grace Bible Church. I have a book budget. It is a glorious thing. If you've ever come into my library, you're welcome to borrow books, but I've been able to get more books. So I can really... I can really connect with this. I don't connect to the coat thing as much in 2 Timothy 4.13, but I connect with the, bring me the books, bring me the parchments. How can you help lead workers that God has put in your life? Number one, it's Mother's Day, right? I mean, a lead worker that God has put in your life to teach you about God's grace is your mother. For most of us, even, even if you had like a, a crazy bad mother, still your mother gave birth to you, gave life to you. You can, you can thank her. I want to personally thank my mom. I was a 10-pound baby, and she weighed like 100 pounds. So I just want to thank her for even making it through the delivery. Um, I'm sorry, Mom. Um, but yeah, I also want to thank her for telling me about Jesus. Thank the people that have told you about Jesus. Here's a specific way that you could do this this week. Think of a youth pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a mentor or some friend that you might have had that's been an effective leader in helping you understand who Jesus is. Write them a thank you note, old-fashioned, 
like get a card and write it by hand and mail it to them, okay? If you don't know how to do that, go ahead and send them a text. I guess that's fine. But, <laughs> but thank somebody this week. Don't thank me, okay? I'm the one telling you, don't thank me. Think of somebody else. Thank someone that's told you about Jesus. Send them a note, a note of thanks. Um, commit also to regularly pray for and, and financially partner with one of our global outreach workers. We'll have a lot of them coming through the summer, so you'll get a chance to meet some of them. If you don't know them yet, we'll have several of them come through. It's a great, great opportunity. We'll have lunches. We'll bring them up on stage. We'd love for you to meet them, get on their newsletter list, uh, pray specifically for their needs. That's a great opportunity as well. And, and what Jay said last week, becoming a financial partner with us. Uh, some of you are here and you believe that Jesus loves you. And we would say then the next step is then wanting to share that with other people. And you can financially partner with Grace Bible Church to help us to do that to send the words of Jesus out to more and more people, to, to disciple people and raise them up, sharing the work financially. Um, I will say, though, if you don't believe that Jesus is, is good to you and you're just giving because you want to get God's attention, I would say stop. That pains me to say because we, you know, we want your money, right? But seriously, don't, don't give if you think you're giving to, to get God to pay attention to you. Only give because you believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus has given his all to you. And then you want to share that with other people. Financially partner with us here at Grace Bible Church, or as I said, some of our other global outreach partners as well. Our next point is to own the work. So not only do we help lead workers like Paul and Timothy and other people that God has put in our path, but we also want to own the work ourselves. And as we transition to that, I want to remind you of a passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus is talking about how his food is to do the work that his father has given him. And so I just want to give you that encouragement. Jesus says, as I do the work that the father has given to me, that actually feeds me. And I want to encourage you, there's real blessing in sharing in the work and owning it for yourself. As I warned up front, ultimately it's going to kill you, but it's worth it. It's good. And there will be real sweet times. You will, you'll feel fed and encouraged even as you give yourself away and painful in difficult circumstances. So Paul says it this way in verse 12, verses 12 through 14. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So Apollos, different name than Paul, sounds a little bit similar, but different name. And he was a guy that was classically trained. He was a great debater, great speaker, and you can read about him in the book of Acts. But him and Paul had both done work in Corinth, in Corinth and in Ephesus, and, and they would kind of rotate back and forth, a one-two punch of gospel preaching and teaching and encouraging others. And so here we see Paul saying, I was encouraging Apollos to own the work and come back to you because you need more teaching and you need more leadership. I strongly urged him to visit with you, with the other brothers. It was not at all his will to come now. Now, in the Greek, that's a little fuzzy. It could be it just wasn't the will or it wasn't Apollos's will. Either way, ultimately, we would assign that to God's greater will. But the point is here at the end of it, he says, wasn't his will or the will to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Okay? That's the key word I really want to press here. Own the work. God's going to give you opportunities to share in the work. Own it for yourself. Look for opportunities. As Paul says in Colossians 4, we, we pray and we make the most of every opportunity. We redeem the time that God has given us. 
Now he goes on and gives a really strong charge here in verse 13 and 14. One of the most famous charges in the New Testament. It's like a great uh, kind of coffee mug kind of thing, bumper sticker here. Verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Isn't this a great Mother's Day verse? Act like men, right? Is that, was that weird? I don't know. Um, the Greek word is andridzomai. And this Greek word can be literally translated, as they did here, good translation, as act like men. You could also say like man up. Um, but essentially, it's getting at this thing that's biologically different than men and women. Women biologically are constructed a little bit more for nurturing. Men are constructed a little more for strength, breaking things, that sort of thing. And so he's like, be strong, push back the opposition, right? And that's a call he's putting on moms and dads, on little girls and little boys. He's saying, act like men. There's also a maturity factor here. It can be contrasted with, as opposed to a little child. So in the one sense, it's like, be strong, men and women, be strong. It's also in contrast to grow up, right? Don't be a little baby, but be strong, be mature. And I just want to lay this out here for you real quickly. It's not what this is all about. But at Grace Bible Church, we really do believe that there's a difference between genders, and it's a good thing. It's a gift. We preached on that earlier in the First Corinthians series. We've got a statement in our Constitution you can read on that. We believe gender is from God. It's a gift to be accepted from Him as a calling. But we also believe that God calls us often to see the strength of the masculine gen- gender and the nurturing of the feminine gender as something that we all are to take part in as we make disciples, right? Paul even says to the Thessalonians that as he was making disciples with the Thessalonians, that he was like a nursing mother with them. And so this is a standard that we're called to. We're called in 1 Thessalonians to be like nursing mothers, and we're called here to be strong like men. How else does he say it? He says, be watchful, like, like be on high alert, Be steadfast, stand strong, let all that you do be done in love. These are all phrases that can summarize what it means to own the work. Do you see it as your job to pay attention, to be alert, to be ready for anything, to do these things in love because Jesus first loved you? I've experienced this kind of being watchful transition in my own life where I went from kind of maybe being a kid to growing up a little bit as I, as I had my own children. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this. Maybe you have, whether you're a parent or not, but at some point you like used to ignore kids, but then you change to this place where you see a child approaching danger and you're like, oh no, have you, have you had that, that kind of switch? You're like, before I would just be like, ah, kid, whatever. And then I'm like, now I see a child getting close to an electrical socket. I'm like, whoa, and I move towards them, right? I'm, I'm being watchful. I think that's a good way to think about this. I grabbed a picture of a mom doing swimming lessons with her kid. I mean, that's a place to be watchful, right? If you're around kids and you're around a river or a swimming pool, you're going to be more on high alert, right? And so there's a, there's a pay attention, wake up. You're not always on vacation. You're not just sitting on the couch playing video games, but spiritually speaking, you're alert. You're watchful. You care about other people, not just yourself. That's, what, that's a, a picture of owning the work spiritually. I want to see people know Jesus and, and walk with Jesus. I want to pay attention to the harms, the pitfalls, the, the holes they might fall into. So I've experienced that 
that feeling. The, the really sweet thing was when our, our youngest child turned about maybe five or six, and she wasn't quite as dangerous at that point, right? There's just like, ah, started to relax a little bit. So there's, there's a way you can be watchful and not just be nervous all the time too. So there's a, there's a balance there. But he's saying, be watchful, pay attention, look out at what might hurt other people and, and jump in, right? See what needs to be done and help people to see Jesus and walk with Jesus and obey Jesus. In 1 Peter 5.8, it, it said this way by Peter, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What is he saying? The devil wants to eat you like a lion. He wants to kill you. How does he actually do that? It's really a spiritual process as we look at all the scriptures on spiritual warfare. It's, it's condemnation, right? It's by saying things to you like you're worthless. You don't count. You might as well just indulge yourself. Or saying things like everybody else is worthless, but you're better than them, right? These, these barbs, these darts of condemnation, we are to answer those things spiritually. We are to be watchful for that spiritual condemnation. We are to be alert and answer that with the gospel. Spiritual warfare is de- de- defined in Ephesians chapter 6 as something where we're constantly putting on the armor of the gospel, the good news, the righteousness that Jesus gives us. So the devil says, you're worthless. And, and you say, well, yeah, apart from Christ, I am, but he's given me all of his worth. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. So now by faith, when God looks at me, he's pleased with me. He's delighted in me. I have the worth of Jesus. And so we answer that spiritual warfare with with the gospel. Be be alert for yourself, but also for others. Share in the work, own the work, and help others to see this hope we have in Jesus. As we look out over the entire book of 1 Corinthians, because we're kind of shutting it all down this week, we're, we're finishing it up. Here are four ways that, that people have kind of fallen into pits in Corinth, right? Four ways they need to be spiritually watchful. One is humility versus pride. Do you think you're awesome and you have nothing left to learn? Or do you recognize, I need, I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. No matter how mature I am in the faith, I need Jesus. That's what Paul's been calling the Corinthians to, humility. Be watchful, don't fall into pride. The second thing that he's called them to is sexual purity. When we fall under condemnation, we just think, man, this world is broken. I'm broken. I just, I just need to indulge. I just need to escape. I just need to follow my own feelings, my own desires. Paul says, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. Be watchful. It's a trick. That's a snare. Because Jesus is good to you. You can obey him even in difficult circumstances, even when he calls you to hard things. Sexual purity. The, the third thing that's come up a lot is generosity. Um, We think the world is hard. The world is hard. So we might want to kind of hoard our resources and push others away. Paul says, no, you want to share. Jesus shared everything with you. So you want to share and be generous with others. And this bleeds over into kind of a a social interaction thing of hospitality versus closed offness, right? The gospel is always calling on us to be open socially as well, to, to love people, to accept people, to encourage people to be feeling welcome. And we'll hit this a lot more in in the last point that we come to. But a thing that we could fall into is kind of like, nope, this is just for me. You You don't count. God loves me, but he doesn't love you. We're always supposed to go back to 1 Corinthians 9, always be looking out to the others on the outside that we can share the hope of Jesus with them as well. In 2022, middle of 2022, where we live now, Grace Bible Church, here are two things we really need that you could 
own the work with us. We need nursery volunteers and we need adult small group hosts. Those are two things we really need. We've got a lot of great welcome team, fo- uh, welcome team folks, a lot of great help in the youth ministry, a lot of great help on our Afghan resettlement team, a lot of great help with our elementary ministry. We've got, thank you, we've got a lot of you pitching in and helping in so many ways, giving financially, partnering with us in many other ways. Thank you. We, we still need more help with our, our baby and infant and preschool nursery and with hosting small groups for adult discipleship. Those are two strong needs we have. If, if you're interested in helping with that, please let us know. We'd love to see you owning more of the work in those areas. All right, our last point is celebrate a culture of good work. Celebrate a culture of good work. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. We're going to see this in kind of two movements here, verses 15 through 18, and then the the paragraph after that. In verse 15, he says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So he's celebrating the first converts. We had about 18 people get baptized and start walking with Jesus last year, and we celebrate that primarily through public baptism. But it's also good to just say, hey, converts, people have come to believe in Jesus. Let's celebrate that, right? That's part of celebrating a culture of good work here. He's celebrating these first converts in the region. And he goes on and he says, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So they didn't just stay babies, but they began to own the work. They began to grow as disciples of Jesus and began to serve others. They're growing up in the Lord. Verse 16, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. He's like, you want a good example of what to celebrate? It's these guys. First of all, they started believing in Jesus. Second of all, they started serving others. Right? They started growing up in the family of God. Be subject to them. What does that mean? Submit to them. It means literally follow them. These are people that met Jesus and started walking with him. Follow them, right? Often some of the best disciples that I want people to imitate in our church are those that have come to faith here. They have this passion for Jesus and they begin walking with it. They just start following Jesus no matter what he says. It's like they don't know any better, you know? They're still kind of new in the faith. Follow these kinds of people, Paul's saying. Celebrate this kind of thing. Celebrate people that have this fresh faith. They love Jesus. They're following him. They're serving other people. Follow those kinds of people. Celebrate them. Paul goes on. He says, submit to them, be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. So he's broadening it out. We should have a culture where we're celebrating every person that's doing good work, right? You're walking down the hall, you see someone being nice, you're like, hey, good job, right? See someone serving in the nursery, hey, good job, way to go. You see someone giving, way to go, that's awesome, thank you. We should just have a culture where we're celebrating this and saying, good job, I appreciate you. I wanna say, thank you. We've been here almost 16 years now. Thank you, Grace Bible Church. And for the thousands that have gone before you that have moved away to new cities, thank you for your partnership in the gospel for serving others, for loving Jesus, helping others grow up in Jesus. Thank you that are here now, that are doing the work, that are serving in all the different ministries of our church. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. We wouldn't exist if it, if it wasn't for you. You're sharing in the work, and we want to celebrate that. We want to do a better and better job of celebrating God's goodness among us as a church. I think over the last uh, 15 and a half years, we've kind of had an attitude of like, always take the next hill, you know, like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And one thing I've been convicted of as I've studied the scriptures is we need, to, we need to also say, God, you've been good to us. 
Thank you for what you've done. So one of the ways you can help is by reminding us leaders to do that, but you can also do it yourself. You can celebrate the good work that you see going on around you. We can create a culture where good things are celebrated. Now he's going to go on, and he says uh, in verse 19, no, sorry, Verse 17, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. So he's talking about rejoicing in those that have visited him. Again, this is a celebrating of people being kind and encouraging. So part of what we want to build here. Verse 18, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So recognize them, hold them up and say, look at what they've done. Again, build a culture of rejoicing in, refreshing each other, celebrating the people that do rejoice and refresh each other, and just kind of building this culture more and more. Now he's going to transition to talk about the way in which we interact with each other. There's very specific ways we can celebrate and say, look at that, follow them. Those are, those are good people. And then there's just a general culture of liking each other that he's going to talk about here. Look at verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, sometimes Priscilla, sometimes called Prisca. We just assume that's like short, you know, like Dave or David or Bob or Robert. So Aquila and Prisca, we hear a lot about them throughout the book of Acts. Together with the church in their house, they send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Y'all, it's not enough to just greet each other. We got to give each other hearty greetings, okay? Like thick and chunky greetings. Like we got to be serious about this. We got we to gotta like each other. He goes on. Verse 20, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This occurs a lot in the New Testament. We've talked about this. We think this is kind of, can have a little bit of a cultural interpretation. In the Mediterranean world, people kiss each other a lot more. You might be coming from an ethnic background where kissing is more common. Western people, American people don't kiss as much as some cultures, I think. I think really the best way to translate this is to show kind, loving greetings to each other that is holy. It's sanctified. It's not like sexually weird, but it's also a a full, joyous embrace, right? So for us, that might mean like a holy handshake or a holy hug. Or if you've been evangelical long, you know about the holy side hug, right? Um, The holy high five, the holy fist bump, that's gotten a lot more popular the last few years. But greet each other. I think one of the most essential pieces that's not even really uh, explicitly talked about here is the smile. Smile at people. Have you ever noticed when you take the initiative to smile at someone, they smile back at you? Act like you like each other. And what's going to happen? The more we act like we like each other, we're going to start liking each other more too. It's just going to just bleed out of us. So smile, hug, greet. Verse 21 now, he gives very personal greetings. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And so this is like at the end of the letter, he's been working through a secretary, uh, theologians and historians call it a a menuensis, but basically just someone writing for him, right? Writing the letter. And so in the ancient world, it's a very specialized thing to write. Paul can write, but there are people that just, that's what they do. It's like having a computer or a printer, right? Uh, And so in our day, we might print something and then handwrite on the bottom of it. And this is very similar. He might have the entire letter written by a professional writer, who he dictated to, but then Paul would always add his own little signature at the end. Just so you know, this is authentic. This is from me saying, I'm writing with my own hand here, my greeting with my own hand. And here's his greeting. Verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. 
Like, wow, Paul, that sounds kind of harsh. Here's the thing. There's blessing in Jesus. There's no blessing outside of Jesus. Paul's not wishing people to be outside of Jesus. Paul's warning people that outside of Jesus, there's no blessing. It's a curse. I've found it helpful as we think about judgment to think about the words of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis described it this way, that if we love Jesus, we're saying to the Lord, thy will be done. If we don't love Jesus, the Lord says to us, thy will be done. He's saying to us, all right, go, go your own way. But it's, it's not good to go our own way. We need Jesus. He's the source of all life. And so don't see this as a condemnation. See, this as a warning. Paul's like, you need, you need Jesus. You need him. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. It's an Aramaic phrase, Maranatha. Anyone ever heard this phrase before, Maranatha? Um, it's like, hallelujah. Maranatha, Hosanna. These are kind of Aramaic, uh, Jewish. Uh, their trade language of the day, the kind of Jewish-ish language was Aramaic. And so they would use these phrases even in the Greek New Testament. So it's translated for us. It means, oh Lord, come. But it would have been a common phrase they would have just yelled out even if they were Greek speakers. Maranatha, like hallelujah, amen. Lord, come. Oh Lord, come. That's Paul's hope and that's our hope. Our hope is seeing Jesus face to face. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we've got greetings and we've got the recognition of good work. Both things work together to help us to build a a culture of good work. Are you helping us to celebrate that culture? Are you showing kindness and love and rejoicing and refreshment to each other? I grabbed a picture of a dad uh, hugging his kids, a soldier dad. We see these pictures all the time around Fort Hood. It's a hearty greeting, a bear hug. Show love to one another. Be sensitive to cultural boundaries, right? But the least you can do is smile. At least smile. At least act like we like each other, okay? Show greetings. Last week, uh, last week my son was married a couple of states away, and it was a, just a great, encouraging time to see family members that we hadn't seen in a long time, to see friends there. I love to greet and hug my kids. They're grown-ups, but I still get to squeeze them hard and kiss them and show them my love. And it means a lot to me when they initiate those kinds of hearty greetings, when they show that love to me as well. But one of the sweetest things I love to see in their life is to see them walking with Jesus. It's to see them submitting to others that are walking with Jesus. And that's a great blessing. And that's the kind of culture we want to build here, right? We want to build that kind of culture where we're just showing unconditional love. We're greeting each other. We're liking each other. But we want to keep holding up examples of faithfulness. Say, look at this guy. He loves Jesus. Look at that person. They helped their neighbor. Look at this person. They were really kind. Look at this person. They're serving in incredible ways. And we want to to lift that up. We want to celebrate these things. Recognize people like this, as Paul says. Submit to leaders in the work. Rejoice and refresh each other. Greet each other. Hug each other. Write notes, as we talked about earlier. We want to build this culture where we're encouraging and kind, and that's, that's going to happen the more we trust Jesus. Again, the problem throughout the Corinthian church has been they just kept taking their eyes off Jesus and thinking they could do it on their own. And so as we transition to the end here, I want to remind you of one more cross-reference uh, with this labor thing, right? Many different places, Paul's in, or 
Jesus is inviting his followers in, into the labor, into the work, right? And there's this idea that there's a sense of urgency, right? Like the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need more workers to come and harvest. Uh, if you've got a huge harvest, if you don't have enough workers to harvest it, it'll spoil. And so there's a sense of urgency. Yes, of course, God is sovereign and Jesus is in charge of all this, but he's with a sense of urgency inviting us into the work telling us to pray that God would send more workers as well, that we would share the work. And there's a parallel to that in Luke chapter 10, where he's sending out his followers to to share the good news, to preach who he is and that he's come, and to also cast out evil spirits and to do these great things. And they celebrate that he's actually uh, working through them. It's a really interesting thing. Jesus sends them out in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 3, and he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So that was kind of my warning at the beginning, right? Jesus is calling you to the work and the work is going to kill you. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. And they're like, okay, but they go. They do what Jesus said. They go, they go out, they share the good news of the gospel. They come back celebrating all that God has done through them. God has actually enabled them to participate in this spiritual work. And they come back, and in Luke 10, 17, a few paragraphs later in in Luke chapter 10, they're like, Lord, even demons were subject to us, right? We were preaching the gospel, and evil spirits were subject to us. And we saw real spiritual change in people's lives. And Jesus warned them, in their joy, their celebration of how awesome it was to share in the work, You should love it. We should love it. They loved it. We get to share in the spiritual work of pushing back the darkness in the world. But Jesus warned him. And he says this, Behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so I just want to make that final charge to us. Share the work. Rejoice in the work. God's going to do great things through you. Greater works, he says, he will do through us. People will come from death to life through the supernatural power of the gospel. But he says, make it your greatest joy, not that you're doing such great work, but that you are in the family, that you belong to Jesus. That is our greatest joy. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you have included us in your family, that our Names are in heaven by faith in Jesus. Help us to see the work that is still yet to be done, to share in it, to take part. We pray that you would use us for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.